Shannon Richardson. Do you know who Shannon Richardson is? Probably not. But if I could put a face, if I could put a face on uh, the statement that mothers tell their sons, you know, moms warn their sons, if they're good mothers, they tell their sons, be careful who you marry. Be careful who you marry. If I could put a face on the woman that mothers have in mind when they tell their sons to be careful who they marry, it might be Shannon Richardson. Shannon Richardson was an actress, appeared in bit parts in popular shows like The Walking Dead and The Vampire Diaries, uh, but she is not known for her acting. In 2013, Shannon Richardson sent a ricin-laced letter, so that's poison, to New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg and to then-President Obama. Richardson attempted to lead investigators to her husband, Nathaniel, as the one behind the letters. Richardson, Shannon Richardson claimed that she found evidence of ricin production materials in her fridge. And uh, they probably were there from her husband. You see, Shannon and Nathaniel were going through a divorce, and she thought framing him for trying to poison the mayor of the largest city in America and the president would be a good way to get back at him for all he had done to ruin her life once she married him. Thankfully, the authorities, they did initially suspect her husband Nathaniel as a suspect. But as inconsistencies in Shannon's story begin to show themselves, and evidence appeared that disqualified much of what she had to say, Nathaniel, as a culprit, led investigators to the truth, which was Shannon was behind the letters, not Nathaniel. She is the woman that your mama warned you about when she said, be careful who you marry. You could, you could say that reverse. Dad should warn their daughters, too. Be careful who you marry. I wish this morning that I could stand here before you and say that every false accusation that's ever been made, that eventually the truth became clear. But in this life, that's not always the case. It is absolutely true that many times over time, sometimes after a person is even deceased, many times, uh, oftentimes, the truth does eventually reveal itself. But that is not always the case. False accusations are attacks from the devil. But this morning, I want us to learn from the Apostle Paul that false, uh, false accusations are also an opportunity to learn to trust God. This morning... I want us to look closely at false accusations that led to the Apostle Paul's arrest and to an unwarranted beating and that eventually started a process that we believe led to his execution. But even in the midst of this, we're going to see as we look at this part of Paul's life that the Bible shows us through Paul's example how to respond to false accusations and more importantly, or as a part of this, how to trust God's purpose, how to trust God's purpose, and to continue to look for His bigger purpose, even while the worst of things, one of the worst things that could be done, false accusations have been or are being raised against you. And I want us to look today in Acts 21. Now remember, if you've been with us, Paul has gotten to Jerusalem and he has brought a large gift, a huge financial sum from the many churches that he's been ministering in. And he brought an entourage with him. Part of this is an accountability group to uh, ensure uh, the integrity of this money that's been raised and to keep Paul safe on his journey because there are more folks. It would be easier to rob him if, if people knew they were carrying this, uh, this gift. And they've come to Jerusalem, which is the mother church. It's where, where it started at Pentecost, and they have come there. And they have, they have delivered this gift, and they have told the Jerusalem church, which has both uh, had, had persecution from without. They've been, they've been persecuted increasingly by other Jews who do not want to follow Jesus the Messiah. So they've been persecuted that way. There's also been some disasters that have occurred uh, there in, in, in 
Jerusalem in the area, and so that has created hardship and hard times. And then the Roman authorities, are there's a lot of tension, huge amount of tension that's soon going to blow up between the Jewish people and the Roman government. So this, this gift was really needed, and they gave the gift. They also, as they gave the gift, Paul was able to tell of the thousands and thousands of Gentiles that have embraced Jesus as the Messiah and are part of the Lord's body, the church. And the Jews who are there, the elders, they get to tell Paul about the many Jews in Jerusalem that continue to become Christ followers in spite of the persecution. If you remember in our last message, they, they, they told us that there's just one problem. These lies have been spread about you. These accusations have been made against you that you are telling everybody to ignore Moses and you're telling Jews that the minute that they accept Jesus, they should reject all of their national customs and all of these things. And, and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but basically that was taking a little part of what Paul was doing and totally distorting it. And they said, Paul, we need you to do something to let these believers know and have assurance that, that this is not true. This is not true. One of the things they said is you're telling them not to circumcise their kids. And we already know from our study that's not true because he circumcised Timothy, who was uh, maybe part, part Greek, it looks like, and part Jew. And he, he circumcised him. So we know that's not true. Paul is not telling them that, that, that they cannot still uh, engage in some of that cultural identity. He has told them, though, that salvation is through faith and through grace of Jesus Christ. And he's making it clear that you better not trust in these other things that pointed to Jesus. And you need to be clear about that. And he's given some direction. So Paul goes through with what they say. They, and again, not to re-preach all sermon, but remember, they say go through this ritual purification act that these individuals that have taken a vow, that they're now that. And then we want you to pay these temple fees, which were a lot of money for them to, to, them to complete these acts to show that, hey, you're not telling folks that, they, that Jewish folks, that they can't uh, continue to live into this cultural identity anymore. And so Paul does it. Paul does what they asked, which would, which would have cost him quite a bit to do it, to make it clear, to make it clear that his focus for Jew and Gentile is on Jesus. So look at verse 26 and watch what happens, all right? So, so there's been these false accusations made already. He's trying to clear them up. He's trying to show what he really believes. Verse 26, Then Paul took the men and the next day purified himself with them. They entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia... So remember, Paul has come back to Jerusalem at a time of a great feast and festival, right? Do you remember that? And he's there, and so it's not surprising other Jews have also traveled to Jerusalem, and apparently some of them from around the Mediterranean, where Paul has been engaged in the, in the gospel ministry, they know about him. Probably, I'll bracket this, the text doesn't tell us this, but I'm almost willing to bet that some of them had opposed Paul in some of these other cities, and now they see their enemy in the temple, they see him there. When they saw him in the temple, they stirred up all the people and they laid hands on him. Now contrast that in the book of Acts. When the believers gather, their hands laid on folks, but it is, it is a manifestation of God's power, of agreement with their ministry, of identifying that we are a part of the work that you're doing, and we want to support that, and, and we believe in what God is doing through you. And that laying on of hands is a wonderful thing. And boy, last Sunday night, if you got to be here, Brother Tanner, he spoke for us, and at the end of the service, he spoke about prayer and like taking time for prayer, and, and, and just felt led at the end to say, let's do that, let's take time, and so our church gathered around, and we had three different individuals pray for Tanner and his family and, 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 and his ministry and what he's doing. It was a wonderful time to lay hands and to pray with him. But this is another type of laying on of hands. This is hands not of healing, not of help, not of the manifestation of the power of God, but these are hands that are the manifestation of the devil to rip, to tear, to destroy, to stop what God is doing. Verse 28, they cried out, these men, men of Israel, help! This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law. And this place, what is he doing here? He has preached against this place. And further, they brought Greeks also into the temple and has polluted this holy place. He has brought Gentiles into this temple 
So this means they probably got to be in the inner part of the temple, not in the court of Gentiles, I assume. And they're saying he, they make an accusation. He is bringing Gentiles into this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian. So again, that's why I assume these are people that probably know Paul. They know his ministry. They recognize this guy, Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed they do not know. They do not know. There's no statement from the text this actually occurred. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut, and as they were about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So what is the, what is the chief captain? What does the centurion of the Roman forces do? He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. So the Roman authorities show up. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. So they can't get their story straight. They're giving different reasons for why they're doing this to this man. And when he, the commander, could not know with certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle, to the, the barracks, the, the Antonia's fortress there by the temple where the Romans uh, were there, you know, stayed right there to make sure things were controlled. So he takes him in the military barracks. And when he coming from the stairs... So it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. They, they abound him, they're carrying him, the people are pushing and they're pressing. They want to see him die. The multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! We've heard that before, haven't we? When another man was attacked by a mob, away with him. As Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto you? And he says this in Greek, apparently in a way that symbolized that uh, this isn't just some rabble rouser, this is an educated man. Who said? The captain said, Who said? Who said that? Can thou speak Greek? Can you speak Greek? Are you not that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar? And let out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers. He assumes that Paul is somebody else. That he is this Egyptian troublemaker uh, that you can read about if you study Jewish history. And I, I don't want to get into all that. But he, there was an Egyptian troublemaker that ha- had caused a big scene there. And he says, whoa, that's, that's not you, this guy we've been looking for. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Caesarea, a, city, a citizen of no mean city. He tells him, I am a Roman citizen. I'm a Jew but I'm from a city where Roman citizenship was conferred on everyone. A citizen of no mean city, and I beseech you, I ask you, suffer me, allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with one hand to the people. And there was made a great silence, and he spoke unto them in the Hebrew tongue. For the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. This morning, there are three noticeable characters in today's text. And by looking at these different characters and the role they play in this story, I believe we can learn, we can glean some spiritual observations this morning about how God would desire for us to not act and how to act when we are faced with false accusations like the Apostle Paul. This applies both when we are falsely accused because of our stand for Christ and our following of Him, but these principles also really apply to any attack of the devil that, is, that, that involves false accusation. So these both have a very uh, specific meaning to believers for how we should respond when we are opposed for being Christians and this involves lies about us or about the gospel, but it also has a broader application for all of our life. The first character is the protesting mob. Look at verse 27 uh, again at what it tells us here. The seven days were almost ended 
the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, they stirred up the people and they laid hands on him. Here again, you have these Jews who've probably encountered and already some of them probably worked against Paul's church planting, disciple making ministry in the Mediterranean. And again, can you imagine their anger when they see their enemy Paul in the temple? So what do they do? They stir up a mob. How do they do this? They make false accusations against Paul that are very similar to the accusations, some of them, not all, but some of them are very similar to the accusations we've already seen in Acts that were made against Stephen many years before. They also accuse Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And to bring a Gentile into the inner part of the temple was a capital offense. And I'm pretty sure, right, you can check me on this, but I'm, I'm like 90% confident that this was the one crime for which the Jews could execute the death penalty without getting the Roman oppressor's approval. If a Gentile enters your temple, if he enters into the part that is only for the Jews, you don't have to ask for permission. You may take the life of those that have done this. Here is the one crime for which they could execute the death penalty without going to the Romans. The crowd seized Paul. They drag him out of the temple. Given what the charge was, they drag him out. So they take him out of either the court of men or the court of the women, and they drag him out, maybe in the court of the Gentiles, or, or maybe all the way out. We're not sure. So we have this group that they hear an accusation. They are told what's going on, and without delving into without listening without allowing Paul to speak without finding out what the truth is their immediate response is guilty 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 I don't need to hear what Paul has to say I don't need to allow Paul speak his defense he's guilty this is the protesting mob then there is a second character and this was what the Bible does this takes so much that we know and flips it all on its head to remind us you better be careful about putting everything in a neat little box and thinking that God's justice or God's purposes or what God is up to or who will do right and who will do wrong is always going to fit the box that you've constructed. Because who is the second character? The Roman deliverers. The Romans who have taken over the Jewish people? The Romans who have put their temple right, their, their fortress right by the temple to show the Jews that we're in charge, not really your God, not really, not really this God that you worship your temple. That's not really who's in charge. Who's really in charge is us, and we're right next door to remind you of that. The, 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 the Roman soldiers that participate in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus now become deliverers in this part of the story. Look at verses 31 through 34 again, and then verse 37. As they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all, the, all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, this, this does have connection to our world. Probably the Jews from Asia are of some means, some wealth, if they've been able to get there and have this kind of influence. Now, I, I mean, that's kind of an assumption, but it's like these probably aren't just your run-of-the-mill Jews that are there. I mean, they're, they're there, people are listening to them, so they're probably some means, some power. But they know how to manipulate the common man. They know how to get the everyday person. They know how to tap into the biases that people already have to convince them of what the outcome is before it's even possible to know what the truth is. So these people get everybody in an uproar. Verse 32, they immediately took soldiers and centurions, or verse 31, I'm sorry, they were about to kill him. Tidings came to the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in uproar. What does he do? Immediately took the soldiers and centurions, ran down unto them, and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. 
Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. When they could not know the certainty for the atonement, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. Verse 37, and his fall was to be led unto the castle. He said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto you. As the crowd seeks to kill Paul, the Roman commander receives word. On the east side of the temple was Antonia's fortress, named, named after Mark Anthony. The fortress housed Roman soldiers who could assist temple police officers uh, with crowd control. It's not exactly the same, but it's sort of like calling in the National Guard uh, to help local authorities. The commander sent the soldiers. They stopped their beating Paul already without knowing the truth. They are beating him. Probably two centurions with contingents that would be at least 200 soldiers. By the way, this is the great thing about preaching through series. Do you remember when they told Paul, do you remember when Agabus the prophet told Paul, this one they will bind. They will bind you. And he took that clothing, that cloth, whatever it was. Remember, if, you remember, if you remember that part of Acts where that happened, would you raise your hand if you remember that? Some of you do. Here it is. Here it is. The, can you imagine? I mean, he's being beat. But as the centurions, as they get him up and they bind him, I, I just wonder. I got, I got to think that was a powerful moment when Agabus did that, when he told them, this is what will happen to you. I wonder as Paul's companions, as those who were there when Agabus said this was going to happen, as they actually bind him, I just wonder what went through their mind. Unable to figure out the truth, Paul is taken to the barracks. The commander wants to know who Paul is and what he has done, but the crowd cannot agree on why Paul is worthy of death. So finally, the mob does what they always do. They just start to chant the same thing in unison, away with him, away with him. Just like when the Lord Jesus that we have worshipped today was brought before Pilate, this is always the answer. Ultimately, this is what the devil desires for those that oppose the way of Christ. Away with them. Aren't you glad that when you in your heart and in the sin that you were engaged in, through your sin, you may not say with your lips, with your sin, you were telling Jesus, away with you. If you're glad that Jesus didn't leave, say amen. Away with him. Now, this is important. Because today, we have certain assumptions, certain biases that we all have. We all have certain things that we think. And if we are not careful, we allow them to conclude that the things we've already made our mind up on, that, that's the way every situation is going to play out. There's no doubt. There's not really a question that there were times in the past that it was assumed if a black man was said had raped a white woman, there was no way they could get a fair jury hearing in the South where I'm from. There's just, I mean, you can look at all the evidence. There's, there, and, and oftentimes the mobs executed that justice, but it wasn't justice. Today we hear that if you belong to a certain gender, you are to be believed before the story is told. We are told that if you belong to a certain socioeconomic group, that you are to be preferred when telling your story. And that is not secondhand. I can't tell you how many times from Duke I heard this, and I cannot tell you what it was like to be there a year after the lacrosse case when innocent people, when professors got out and protested and accused and by the way, those guys did some things they shouldn't have done, but what they were accused of, they did not do, but it did not matter. It did not matter. If a white person assumes that a black person is guilty because they're black before the truth is found out, that is a sin. But if a white teenager is accused, as happened at Duke, of rape before the truth actually came out, that is a sin as well. Both are wrong. Amen? Both are wrong. 
And the problem is we both have certain ways we want to see it. So when anything comes up, I have to tell myself sometimes, because when I was at Duke, I have to tell myself sometimes, just because they did that to those white students there, and, I, and it was, I mean, it was mob. It was mob behavior. You can watch the ESPN special. And by the way, the, the university did not, they did, they, they did so many irrehensible things to those boys towards not telling them their rights, not contacting their parents, telling them a bunch of garbage. But I have to be careful because I can't see every story through that lens that I was a part of on the tail end. I want to tell you something. The Bible upends the narrative today because the Roman becomes the one voice who will listen. And these are the people that have been oppressing the people that these folks that have been oppressing them. But in this story, it is the Roman law and order authority that has used that law and authority in many ways to do things that were not right. To Jewish people, this man does what is right to listen and to find out the truth. The Bible prefers one group. Yes, the people of God. But the people of God, whether Jews or Christians, are not preferred because of anything they have done. In fact, they are frequently shown to be wicked. They're only preferred because God has preferred His Son, Jesus, who has saved us, not because of who we are or where we come from or what we look like. You're not preferred as the people of God because of you. You're preferred because of the Son. So there's no boasting. There's no using that as a way to sort of say, well, we're the people of God. We're always going to get what we want. No. We are preferred because we are chosen in Christ, because we've exercised faith. Here it is God's chosen people, the Jews, who are engaged in the sin, this persecuted group, the Jews. They are the ones that are engaging in the violence and the sin. It is the Roman who provides justice and allows the truth to be spoken. So I want to say this again. This can go in multiple ways. One of the things that's tearing our nation apart is really nobody is in control. I believe that. There, there are some places where, um, you know, I mean, let's just be real, right? I mean, our community is, is 88% white and it's a great place to live but I mean you know we, we're, we're overwhelmingly right look at our city council these kind of things I mean that's just kind of the way it is it's kind of in charge there's no there's no I mean that goes back to historic reasons to who moved here all that kind of stuff that doesn't mean it's some you know horrible thing that's the way it is and it's that way in lots of parts of the world but you can go to other places where other groups are in charge that's when I was at Duke University believe me conservatives were not in charge that's not who's in charge that's why what happened was able to happen. This is why our nation, this is a big part of the thing. And there is no earthly answer to this. We, we are not unified. Because in different bubbles, it's different values and different ideas. That there is nothing that unifies us as a people. And we know this. We look around and we see it. It's just a reminder. We desperately need Jesus desperately we need him now we work for justice in whatever setting we're in we work for the truth whatever setting we're in we need to be careful to not fall into these traps that the jewish people fell into which can happen to any and all groups we need to be concerned with what is the truth now as gentiles we read this and we could we could just skip right over what happens in the story but I can tell you, if you're a Jewish reader who's reading Luke's gospel and you get to this point where it is the Roman authority who does this, it shakes things up a little bit. There's the protesting mob. There are the Roman deliverers. That just feels weird saying that. So many of my sermons, the Romans are not the deliverers. But this one is. There's a third character. And this is the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 37 again. As Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto you? And, he, and, and, and as I got to respond, Can you speak Greek? 
Are you not the Egyptians? He says, are you not this other guy? Verse 39, Paul says, I am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Caesarea, a city, a citizen of no mean city. I beseech you, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spoke unto them in the Hebrew word. Paul asked to speak with the Roman commander. He speaks in Greek, which surprises the commander. And if you look at this, Paul is also speaking with great politeness. He does not curse the mob. He does not rant and rave about these people that have just got done beating him. What the text gives us is a man that somehow, through the Spirit of the Lord, is able to what I consider polite. Now I don't necessarily. I don't. I'm not saying he just whispered it to him. I mean, he was he was he was clear enough to get his attention. But he, 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 I mean, listen, the mob's beating me. Get those blankety-blank off of me, these sorry. I mean, that's going to be my reaction in the flesh. And if that was your reaction, I would find it so easy to say, well, that's, I mean, that's what they are. That's what they've done. That's how we should respond. And yet Paul smacks me upside the face with what he does. Because there is a, I can only describe it as a Holy Spirit empowered calmness that is over this man. And it is because he is calm that next week we are going to see he seizes the moment that he could have never seized if anger and rage had taken him over. Now, you have to let, now, I'm not, this is something the Holy Spirit has to minister to your heart, okay? So, and this is one of those times I really have nobody in mind. I have nobody in mind, I have, but I do have every single person in mind. I don't know your life story. And there are instances where things are happening that it would be easy to get worked up and angry and make decisions and do things. And I'm not telling you that certain of you have not had things happen where even the Bible itself would say that righteous anger is okay. But I am warning you. The Bible teaches that if you stay in that state, you will not be able to make a decision that is actually listening to the Holy Spirit and what He wants you to do. I, now, I love this, and I don't think it happens all the time, but I think God does this sometimes. I think sometimes when something happens to us that we are so angry and we are so upset and we are so worked up, sometimes God allows either another believer or maybe even an unbeliever to encounter us to give us a chance to begin to calm down. I, 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 there have been times in my life, this happened a couple weeks ago, and I'll tell you, I'm not going to tell you the story, I'll tell you what, it was Brother Cecil. I was, I, and, and it was just a buildup of things, and something had happened, and I was in church by myself, and I was just so ticked off. And the phone rang right in the middle of me kind of doing what I had to do to clean something up. And it was Cecil. I, he, I, he probably just wanted to find out about Sunday or what we are going to do. And I wasn't happy at all. And he asked me, and I told him the truth. He said, how you doing? And there's that awkward pause, and I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not doing real good right now. And I began to talk to him. I began to tell him what was going on. And he listened for a long time, I told him. And he called, and then he, that night he came back in to get the baptistry ready for the baptism. He made a few comments. You know what happened between that time? God used a Christian brother to be like, okay, this is correct, 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 but if you do this, this, or this, what will happen? If you're glad God puts believers in our lives, say amen. Paul has been beaten, and these folks have opposed him. And they have worked against him. And now, from apparently his own pocket, he was taking his money to show the Jewish people that the lies told about him were not true. And in the moment that Paul's in the temple doing something that he did not have to do, sacrificing for others, that is the moment that they come to kill him. Why is this picture so ugly? 
Why is Jesus' death so ugly? Why is this stuff that is so wrong being allowed to happen? Because the Bible wants to be honest with us. This is what sin has done to the world. It destroys everything in its path. And it wants to destroy you. Paul requests to speak with a politeness that amazes me. He does not panic. It is obvious that he will allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide him. And we will see what he says next week and where this will lead. But I want to make some observations for you today and for me. Number one, all of us have some sort of bias in our life, directions that we lead. You just need to be honest about that. I have a bias for Jesus. I have a bias for God's kingdom and his work. I have a bias for the word of God. And if you ask me, I will be honest and say, yes, absolutely, this will be what I prioritize. I will not come into this with just a clean slate. I'm not a clean slate. I'm a slate that's been filled up with the spirit of God. And that's the truth of the matter. But, but, when you have a bias with your own agenda and not God's agenda, be careful. And be very careful when other people in your life have their bias and their agenda. Be very careful. Because in the flesh, people resort to half-truths and mistruths to mislead and manipulate others. And again, I'm not picking either side in this. I'm just telling you, be careful, because we've seen a lot of this in our country a lot. There are biases. But when biases are worked with agendas, be careful. Sometimes the Romans are the ultimate enemy in the Bible. Many times they are. But sometimes the socially downtrodden, bow-beaten Jewish mob is the enemy. You see, God is concerned with the bride, the church, and He is concerned with the King, Jesus. And what we find is both, both groups of people will oppose Jesus. So whether you are in the group that socially kind of runs things, or whether in the group that is not, we both need saving by Jesus Christ. Observation number one, those with bias and agenda often resort to half-truths and mistruths to mislead and manipulate others. Observation number two, the Bible's emphasis on truth is contrary to the mob mentality. The Bible's emphasis on truth is contrary to the mob mentality. The reaction of the people is the perfect example of mob mentality, also known as the herd effect, the herd mentality, or the bandwagon effect. This is when people are influenced by their peers or what they see going on, especially in large gatherings, such as political rallies or social media-driven protests. It can be either one. This mentality can be seen in a less dangerous way at concerts and sporting events. What happens at sporting events or concerts? People are moved as a group. It does something to them. You should have been at that concert. Why do you say that? Well, it's because of the the good production or whatever it was, but also because of the group effect. You should have been at that game. It was amazing. It's what the athletes did, but it's also your participation with them with what they're doing. By the way, if done rightly, that's a good thing. Because that can channel energy that we have in a helpful way. That's, that's, and, 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 and whether it's music or sports or whatever, things that you're interested in, those group things are good because they allow us to channel things and we were made to experience some things with others. That can be good. But even those good things can turn horribly wrong. Uh, Owen still talks about a game last year that I took him to to watch. His brother basketball league the two best teams played one another and we had friends on both families and I took Owen to the game I took him to the game and Owen and I watched the game but the family on especially one team a small gym over at Parkview they had one side hole filled up 
they just yelled and screamed, and not just encouraging people, but just yelling and screaming about stuff. And they yelled and they screamed. And you couldn't, the refs couldn't communicate what they needed to communicate. The coaches could not say what they needed to say. And these parents were beyond just, I mean, they, they, were, they were just, it was unbelievable. And Owen was afraid. Afraid. And I leaned over and I said, don't, don't cheer for either side. We have friends on both. Just, just sit right. And he sat right in the middle with me as we watched this. One of my best friends I went to school with, his daughter plays ball, and he, he uh, most games he sits in the corner as far away from his daughter's teammates' family as far away as he can in a corner. And I asked him about it one time, and he said, it got so bad one game what they were saying, and they all just got worked up into it that I thought, I will sit over here away from everybody to watch my child play. This mentality goes through the roof when it's not sporting events, but it are things that people have invested their entire life in. People are easily swayed when they are in large crowds. And people do things and allow things to occur that they would never, ever do. Are crowds always wrong? Not necessarily. On the day of Pentecost, thousands come to faith. But I will say this about Jesus. And this concerns me. And you can apply this all kinds of ways and all kinds of directions. So this is not one-sided. This concerns me. Jesus, what he wants to accomplish in his disciples so often happens away from crowds. And when crowds come, he seems to identify how fickle they are and how uninterested they are in actually finding out the truth of who he is and what he's doing that he way more often than not, leaves them, walks away from them, turns away, does things to not feed into the biases they already have, but says things that challenge and convict them to the core so they end up leaving. That can be applied in every sort of direction. Am I telling you, you can't, you know, Go to a political rally or, or, or go to a protest. I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you this. You need to look at Jesus and you need to be careful because it is true that over and over again in the Bible, when people who are under the power of the flesh, not of the Spirit of God, get together in large groups, bad things happen because people are easily swayed. And this occurs in the Bible time and time again. Observation one, those with bias and an agenda often resort to half-truths and mistruths to mislead and manipulate others. Observation number two, the Bible's emphasis this text teaches us is clearly on truth, and that is contrary to the mentality of the mob. Observation number three, and this goes back to the things that I and predisposed to believe because of what I heard and saw at Duke. Number three, truth matters. Not preference for my preferred group. Truth matters. Not preference for the group that I prefer. Why is that important? That means you don't have to close your eyes to things that are truly going around. And there are times that applies to group dynamics. And you should look and pay attention and try to see what is the truth. But what matters is the truth, not the group. The group does matter, but not more than the truth. This Roman commander will be later identified in Acts as Claudius Lysias. In the midst of the turmoil, it is Claudius who determines to know the truth. He has a first impression of who he thinks Paul is. In the text, he is the only one, the Roman law and order guy, who's been part of oppressing the Jewish people. He is the one, the only one that is mentioned, who changes the impression he has because he actually listens to Paul. 
he is willing to let Paul tell his side of the story. And like Cornelius in Acts 10.33, Claudius is willing to listen before passing judgment. And when I say listen, he listened to Paul, not what the others were saying about Paul or about what was going on. He listened to Paul. Boy, I fail at that sometimes. Somebody I really trust that has the same bias and same things. They tell me, well, that's what it's got to be, right? Not necessarily. Paul's arrest in Jerusalem shows people at their worst, and it shows one, two men at their best. The worst, allowing a mob mentality to attack the innocent. The best, allowing a search for the truth to change one's opinion because you've been open to finding the truth through the information there. So how can you avoid, how can I avoid being like the mob, being manipulated by those who have their bias and their agenda that is not God's? There are another set of Jews that we've heard about, that we know about from the Bible, and these are the Jews of Berea. We need to be more like the Jews of Berea than the Jews from Asia. The Jews of Berea, remember them when we saw them and encountered them? They sought to understand. They sought to understand before they confirmed what they would do or what they would believe. Please, be more like the Jews of Berea than the Jews from Asia. Seek to understand the truth. Make truth your priority. Do not follow crowds just because they're big. Whether it's bloggers, podcasters, politicians, or certain news people. Come on. Listen to those that are actually in the middle of what's being discussed and listen to what they have to say. Remember what happened in the flood? Remember what happened in the wilderness? The people were wrong. Remember that the majority does not determine the truth. The Bible. The Bible. God's word to you. The Bible, not the majority, is the truth. Amen? The Bible. What is its story? What is it telling? What does it say? The Bible. And who does the Bible point us to? To Jesus. Jesus is the way for the downtrodden Jews who have been manipulated into engaging in opposition to God's kingdom. Jesus is the answer for them. Jesus is the answer for the Romans who have their own law that is not the law of God that they use to prop themselves up. Jesus is the answer for the Roman sinner. Jesus is the answer for me. And He is the answer for you. Remember what Jesus said. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many Many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few, there are few who find it. Why did Jesus say this? The gospel itself is not hard. The gospel itself is not hard. So why does Jesus say that it is difficult? Why does Jesus say that it is hard to stay on this simple, easy path? Why does He say that there are many on the other path?
because we are easily led astray. To the right, to the left, we easily forsake the path of Jesus for a path that other men have said, this is the way to life. There is only one way, only one truth, only one life. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. Do not be like the mob. In, in all sorts of directions, don't be like the mob. Listen, discern, stay calm, stay calm. Father God, there are so many forces in our world. And Lord, you know today, I really didn't want to preach this because just a few weeks I preached a sermon I didn't really want to preach. But this is the text and these are the characters. And God, I really think in our nation, in our country, it really doesn't matter which side you're on. This temptation, boy, it, 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 we can go, all of us can go wrong on this right now because our world is just as tense and hot as Jerusalem was during this time. So, Lord, we really need you to help us to be people that search for the truth. Do not just listen to others. We listen to you. We think before we act. We act with kindness and politeness. We do not engage in this sort of demeaning behavior that we see around us by everybody. God, help us, please. Lord God, thank you that my boys, every time they hear people on TV talk a certain way, they'll look at their mother and I or they'll say on the radio, Dad, why is that person so angry? Why is that person calling people those names? Why are those folks acting like this? Lord, thank you for Jesus. We'll show my boys a better path through the wilderness of this world. Father God, Help us to, to trust you. But I ask this in Jesus' name.